welcome to the European Football Show on the World Football Index. As ever, I'm your host, Alan Feely, coming to you from Lisbon in Portugal. And today I'm joined by four fantastic guests to do a deep delve into all things Football Club Barcelona, uh, the past, the present and the future. I'm joined by Kevin Williams, a journalist who was sucked into the weirdness of Barcelona two decades ago and now writes for Barcelona Football Blog in Chicago. Diana Christine, a highly respected authority in all things Barcelona based in Bucharest. Uh, Roman Darker, La Liga Loron correspondent based in Barcelona. And Aaron Duckling, uh, the former editor of Barca Blagranes based in London. Uh, Kevin, how are you? How are things in Chicago? Um, sunny and lovely. I just finished a uh, fortifying breakfast right as we started this uh, recording, so I'm ready to um, spill my brains about uh, cool things and life is good. Fantastic. Uh, Diana, how are you in Bucharest? Yeah, I'm all good. Just, uh, you know, being later, a bit later here, just finished with work and getting ready for my evening. Fantastic. Uh, Roman, how are things in Catalonia? Well, like in Chicago, it's pretty sunny today, so that's nice because it's been cloudy lately. And I also just had lunch recently and uh, looking forward to talk about uh, all things Barcelona, as you said. Brilliant. And finally, Aaron, how are things in London? Yeah, uh, great and great miserable as, as usual in London. But thanks for having me. Um, looking forward to looking forward to brightening up my day with a conversation about Barca. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's try and draw on the sunlight from Chicago and Barcelona and kind of maybe energize our conversation with it. But yeah, I guess you know, let's let's get going. A decade ago, Barcelona were the model club uh, in world football. They just won three league titles in the bounce, and Pep Guardiola was revolutionizing football. Uh, the way it's played, the way it's conceived. Um, now, in 2021, a decade later, things are slightly different. Um, but there is moments of uh, change in the offing, hopefully, for uh, the club that plays at Camp Nou. Um, I guess I want to break it down into three parts, really. How do we get to the situation that Barcelona finds itself in, both on and off the pitch? What are we going to do in the short to medium term to fix it? And what's the plan moving forward in the long term? How are Barcelona going to get back to where they believe they should be. So, Kevin, just to ask you first, um, this tale of three fixtures, you could say. Barcelona 6, Paris Saint-Germain 1. Barcelona 2, Bayern Munich 8. Paris Saint-Germain 1, Barcelona 1. Now, we don't need to attach the competitions, the months, dates, or years, because everybody who listens, who loves football, will know what games I'm talking about. I guess I want to ask you, Kevin, first is, what's the story of these three fixtures for you? Do you think it's the beginning, the nadir, and the end of a bad period for Barcelona? Or is it something different? Um, it's, it's many things. Most fascinating for me is looking at the coaches, right? I mean, so you had Luis Enrique uh, then who was like, we're going to win, right? I mean, we need three goals. We're going to score three goals and that's it. And so the team took on his demeanor uh, with the uh, uh, Bayern match, who'd have coaching, Setien, who's like, ah, I just want to be in the countryside with the cows. And so his team was like, yeah, so do we, right? And then with uh, now the one-to-one, once again, you have Kevin with that same kind of mental attitude where it's like, we can do this. He's built this team into something that is frankly better than the talent that it has available and so i think that it's as much 
that six to one was weird because uh, PSG showed up uh, ready to collapse. I don't think that uh, Barcelona makes that that comeback against any other team in the competition at that time. Um, so, nor did they really uh, play that well, except for about twelve minutes. Um, Bayern was just comprehensive. I mean, Bayern was better. The team was physically shot, mentally shot. Um, they weren't good enough in any aspect of the game, and they gave up. Yet that was all in keeping with how things were for the team and at uh, the club. Now it all feels really different. It's not as much a new beginning as these players becoming a team. And that, for me, is the most exciting thing, even with that looming summer clear-up. Diana, do you share the same kind of positive um, reflection on these three games? Yeah, I mean, it's weird because we always talk about the the PSG game in 2017, the remontada, but that game came in between two Champions League games where we lost 4-0 and we lost 3-0. So that game was basically an anomaly for a team that was already declining. It had won a treble in 2015. Then it won a double in 2017 and uh, 2016. And by 2017, it was already a team that had multiple functional problems. And then after that, you add the fact that you lost a very important player and everybody started running around with their head on fire trying to replace him and throwing money all over the place. And you have a sporting project that has consistently been degraded over the years since that starting point, if you want, in 2015, when we won everything. So it reached the lowest point uh, this summer with the Bayern game. That was basically like the end of all of this. And uh, some changes were made, including... the coaching and how uh, new players are coming in and young players who don't have the you know the mental images of Bayern of uh, Roma of Anfield of everything that these players have gone through and they've added their impetus and their youth to the team and so now we can see that it's a project that is moving towards something it's not just a dying sporting project i read an interesting piece recently uh, about the remontada by miguel delaney and he was talking about the context of the game and in when looking at it from what came afterwards basically and one of the points he made was that in a weird way winning that game in the manner in which they did is almost better than winning the Champions League because of the sheer explosion of joy that came about in the last five minutes, you could say. Um, but then, of course, maybe it's conditioned by knowing what came afterwards and how difficult it's been for Barcelona. And as you mentioned, Diana, that the seeds of you know the kind of mediocrity that's come since that game and even immediately after that game were almost sown in that leg as beautiful as that game was at Camp Nou, the return leg. But for you, Roman, what's your perspective on these three games? Well, uh, you were mentioning the Delaney article, and I have to completely agree with him. For me, the moment of the 6-1 was, was definitely better than, than seeing my team lift the title like a Champions League. It was, it was the moment, the emotions, you know, I just went crazy. I know a lot of people did. And it was such a special moment that I would not change 
for a title, to be honest. But um, I don't think it really the problems really started after that uh, comeback, La Remontada. I think it was way before, as, as Diana mentioned. I mean, 2015, we won the treble with Bartomeu, and that kind of covered up a few things and problems which had been already starting building up previously uh, with Rosé, with all the problems he was also uh, deep into. So that game in the end was maybe um, seeing, oh, sorry, after that game, was maybe seeing visually how the team would begin to decline because of the effects of everything that had been handled uh, the wrong way previously. From there on, Valverde kind of... Uh, made it look as it as if it weren't as bad. We also had great players. Messi, of course, uh, still there. Uh, makes things look really different. But then it all like ended up exploding in that game against Bayern Munich, which was very humiliating, it has to be said. It was very tough. Uh, but at the same time, in the end, it was a bit of indifference, you know, because you kind of felt like uh, this was bound to happen at some point. And uh, the example of that was definitely the result. And then now with this 1-1, things are beginning to look up. Uh, things are changing. It's the first um, good result or good game Barca have had against the stronger side this season without including maybe the two games against Sevilla. And I mean, there's definitely hope. There's a lot of young talent coming up. We have to uh, breed that talent, give it more opportunities. That's something we've been missing in previous seasons where maybe Ansu Fati would come up or another kid would come up, but nothing regular, nothing consistent and that's something that Kuman has brought to the table, which uh, Barca can really appreciate now. Aaron, would you concur with this kind of um, breakdown of those three games? Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't think there's much that I can really add here based on what everyone said so far. I think that article from Miguel Delaney really did capture how everyone felt. Uh, as a fun anecdote, I go to watch a lot of games at the Peña Blaglana London base, which is a boat that's docked in the middle of the River Thames. Um, and I remember that game so vividly for so many reasons, not least because when Sergio Roberto scored, you have you know, grown men, you know, adults dropping to their knees, crying just in, you know, shit joy at that result. And I think that game just papered over a lot of the cracks and really set us down the path that culminated in that 8-2 against Bayern. This belief in things that were finite, so individual talent, kind of ego, these big players, that just having these guys enough would 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 be enough for us to win against some of these big teams. And I think, you know, as, as people have gotten older and as people have left, we've seen... You know, that's, that's no longer the case anymore. And now with Komen and with these recent results against Sevilla, against PSG, we're seeing the resurgence of a team rather than this reliance on individuals that's plagued us for so long. Yeah, I guess, Aaron, that it's kind of, you know, as you mentioned, the kind of treble and trident approach that won Barcelona that treble back in 2015 and kind of maybe carried them through after that. But of course, there's only one of that trident left in terms of Lionel Messi because Neymar joined PSG shortly after La Remontada uh, for 222 million euros, a record fee. And Luis Suarez joined Atletico Madrid this past summer for a more nominal fee, it must be said. Do you think that it's maybe a story of two transfers that Neymar's transfer was a massive blow to Barcelona's self-esteem and kind of sparked a serious problem in terms of how to respond to that afterwards? Whereas the Luis Suarez deal was... Although obviously it's not a deal that he went to Atletico Madrid and is now, you know, fighting with Lionel Messi for prominence in the Pichichi standings and he's doing serious damage in La Liga. But maybe the symbolism of that move 
is better suited to Barcelona because it signifies they're moving away from individual stars and towards the team. What do you think, Aaron? I, I think it's exactly that. Um, I think it's that we've learned some lessons from the past. Uh, the Neymar transfer was an interesting one because we've been through that dance before with Luis Figo when he left best player on our team at the time. And perhaps that's not the case with Neymar, but certainly he was in the ascendancy no more evident than in that 6-1 against PSG, where he, for all intents and purposes, was the architect, right? Um, and you would have thought that with that experience of losing Figo, that we might have known how to deal with it a little bit better. But we seem to then step into the same mistakes that were made when Figo was left, you know, rushed purchases on perhaps people that the club shouldn't have been going for, who didn't fit the philosophy, who didn't fit the tactical needs of the team. Um, you know, we can talk a little bit more about how, how that went. Um, but then with Luis Suarez, I think perhaps we've learned uh, from some of some of the other big clubs who aren't afraid to move on from players when it's time, uh, even if they may have one or two useful seasons left, knowing when it's going to be best for that team. Uh, it's certainly something we seem to have seen with Suarez moving on. Kevin, what's your read in the situation? Uh, yeah, I think that not only was Aaron spot on, but the thing is, um, if you give an Doni Zubizarreta that same $222 million, you have a very different team right now. Um, people forget that that was a huge moment when Bartomeu flung him under the bus to save his own lizard-like hide, right? And um, his tenure as foreign director is so underrated. And because you didn't really have a proper technical director, you had this mad money, right? And so you got these two players. And I mean, let's rule out uh, Dembele because we still don't know what, what kind of player he is. This is for me, technically, his first season. Um, but there's no way that you can watch Coutinho uh, play and go, hey, yeah, he's the guy for Barcelona. So, I mean, when you look at the uh, decline, for me, it really began when uh, Bartomeu made the stupid decision to fire one of the best sporting directors that the club's ever had. Roman, what do you think? Well, I mean, uh, in terms of, of these transfers, I I honestly didn't really mind them leaving in, in the case of Neymar and also uh, Suarez because, let's, in my opinion, at least, uh, Neymar is definitely one of the best players in the world. He was back then. But, I mean, he left a lot of money behind. And, I mean, if that money uh, would have been spent properly, as Kevin said, maybe with Luizaret or somebody else in charge, we would have brought the right players and maybe even built a stronger team in all the different positions. And also, I also have the question on whether um, Neymar signing was really something that Bartomeu wanted in a way, because let's not forget that Barca every year were boasting about um, how much money, how much income was coming into the club. But the fact is that the team also had, the, the, the club, sorry, also had a lot of expenses overall. So there was a very little benefit um, season after season. So just imagine how. Uh, the accounts would have ended if they hadn't sold Neymar for 200 million euros. Of course, later later on, they brought uh, Dembele, etc., etc., but the accounts are usually calculated at the end of the season and don't count on for the next one. So, I mean, the Neymar signing has always generated a lot of curiosity for me. What's really behind it? Why did it really happen? Because it was strange to, to give away 
such a good player at that point, even though I consider that we um, had good tools already in the club and we had the, the money now to, to improve um, the squad overall. And in terms of Suarez, I just think that he had to leave the club personally. I know we're missing a number nine and the problem is we haven't replaced him with the right player. But the thing is that Suarez, I think, uh, has a, a lot of character. He's a player um, that I feel was, was too comfortable uh, at the club, like the more experienced ones like Busquets, like Messi, uh, like Jordi Alba, Piquet, etc. You know, there was a point where they were just so comfortable and, and, and they had such power, I'd say, uh, is that they weren't performing as well or maybe giving the 100% in every game. So I feel like letting go guys like Swyth was necessary to let the new talent flow in, uh, to let the club change the dynamic. And I think that's the effect we're seeing now with, with Kuman with, with the youngsters coming in, because I feel, I feel like if Suarez had stayed and other players had stayed, it wouldn't be the same and we would still uh, be in a similar situation to last season. Anyone who follows the European Football Show will know that I'm a big fan of both Alcantara brothers and Diana. I know you're a fan of Rafinha, specifically after last night. Uh, both of them were playing last night. Actually, Thiago was playing very well in a more advanced role for Liverpool and Rafinha was playing in the PSG team that uh, put Barcelona out. Um, but Diana, for you, do you think that, you know, obviously both Alcantara brothers left Barcelona at very different stages in their careers and very different times in this decade, but... Do you think that they're kind of tied in uh, to the more high-profile sales of uh, Luis Suarez and, and Neymar, do you think? I think uh, the Rafinha thing is mostly connected to him uh, having... He had good periods and then he had very long and very serious injuries. And in the start, when he started with the first team and when he was playing regularly under Luis Enrique, it really looked like he would be a player that you could rely on. He was one of the few players that could come in and play in Messi's role in that team, which was so important. I mean, obviously, he couldn't do the same things because no one can, but he fulfilled that that function and was very productive in that role, which you can say about a lot of players. So he was very good, but then, you know, he had all those injuries and everything just fell apart for him at Barca, and there was nothing to be done about that. But uh, Thiago, in a way, was... I don't know, but you can say it. he is a very good example about how uh, the previous uh, administrations have treated the uh, academy talent because uh, if they allowed him to insert a clause into his contract that said that if he didn't play a number of games, uh, he could leave for a lower release clause. And b- this is the thing because everything about them and how they ran the club was transactional and related to money. It wasn't about how you felt. It wasn't about emotion. It wasn't about players wanting to be here. It was just a transaction about money. And that is why we ended up with the highest wage bill in football, in world sport, actually, because they don't know how to operate in a way that uh, rewards people with anything other than money. And every player after that 
felt entitled. All of the big players felt entitled because they knew the board relied on them getting results. And when it came time for them to renegotiate those, their salaries, of course, everyone's going to be selfish and ask for the absolute highest amount they think they can get. And what did they do? They always caved in because they couldn't afford. They knew from an image point of view, they were in a lower position than the players. So they couldn't afford to make the players angry and then make all the fans angry at them. So they always caved in. And that's how you ended up from year to year with bigger and bigger wages. So that's the problem because everything, if you make everything a transaction about money, then people are going to take advantage of you. Aaron, you wanted to come in there? Yeah, I just wanted to jump in on the Tiago point. I guess the writing was on the wall very early when, you know, you know you've made a wrong decision when the first person that's knocking at your door for Tiago is Pep Guardiola. And in the way that Pep Guardiola was so demanding of the Bayern hierarchy to get Thiago, I think that, you know, should have been the immediate proof, if any more was needed, that the decisions that Barcelona made, which led to that particular departure, you know, were, were not right. And I suppose to link it into where we are now with Laporta and to, to, to build on Diana's point, um, everything was quite transactional for that period with, with, the, with those two presidencies and I think now with Laporta and given what Laporta kind of embodies he's always going to at least ask for some football opinion uh, to the extent that he doesn't have one himself where Cruyff was such an important part of his decision-making process for everything the appointment of Guardiola you know transfers things like that and that's also what Laporte is going to bring here, right? He's going to approach it from that different angle, not just think about the money, but bring that balance back to the club in all respects. It's a great point. Guardiola actually said to the Baron board, it's Thiago or nothing. He's the only player I want. He's crucial to the project. That's how much he wanted him. He really highly rated him. And I think his career has gone to show that he was right in, in doing that. But that's a great point you made about Laporta, Aaron, because... Dermot Corrigan had an interesting piece on him in The Athletic this week on Laporta's uh, first term in Barcelona. And one of the points he made was that by speaking to people close to that uh, government, you could say, was that while Laporta had issues with various things towards the end, he always maintained very, very good relations with the football people, uh, specifically with the players and the guys who were close to the players. So I think he's certainly a much cannier operator in that regard. Kevin, you wanted to come in? I yeah I uh, don't know about the uh, propriety of massive applause, but when I was uh, hearing Diana speak about the way they run things in a transactional nature, it was just so spot on. Because as a manager myself, um, they sent me to school to learn how to manage people, and the first day we learned what uh, being a manager is, and it is really um, uh, people and their problems. And so I had have written for years about how how deeply awful the uh, Bartomeu board is at managing humans, and that so it's all money. Diana notes, and right now the most exciting thing about uh, this new president, even given my reservations about uh, his return to the uh, throne, is that. Uh, he knows how to manage people. And 
when you have a human and people forget that these uh, players are human, right? I mean, they have this same hopes, dreams, fears, you know, something's keeping them up uh, late at night. They have all that stuff. And he is much more attuned to the human side of management. And so I think that that in of itself will make his presidency vastly more successful. And if there had been a real human being managing the uh, club at that time, might Tiago have still left? Maybe, because obviously he's a young professional and there's the opportunity, right? And I mean, hey, Guardiola wants him. But you manage that better. Damien Hughes, who's a well-known professor on all things sport, he actually written a book about Pep Guardiola. He was once speaking to Andrew Dundee and he said to him, he was referring to his boxers that he trains. And Dundee, who was the trainer of Muhammad Ali, stepped in and said, I don't train boxers, I train men who happen to box. Then that's a very, very good point um, that Deanna made for sure. But let's get into the off-pitch side of things. Um, let's get into the weeds, shall we? Uh, you know, Josep Maria Bartomeu was arrested last week alongside three other men at Camp Nou due to the Barcagate scandal and the misappropriation almost of funds around that scandal and the way the funds were revealed and uh, the payments were made. Um, Roman, what's your thoughts on the outgoing board and how damaging were they to Barcelona as a football club, as an institution, as, an, as, a, as a cultural entity? Well, I mean, the results speak for themselves, whether it's uh, in terms of football with that Bayern uh, thrashing or whether in terms of the economy where you see that Barcelona uh, have a massive debt to, to solve now. So this just kind of sums up what Bartomeu and his board have done along the years. They've been improvising. They've been uh, focusing on making Barcelona a business rather than a football club. That's my my feeling and uh, I think it relates to what uh, just has been said by Diana, by Kevin, etc. That it's it's been all about the money, you know. And uh, they were so proud every after every season, uh, showing off with the numbers that how much income they had. But the truth is, Barca was really spending a lot. And then we had all these weird signings with uh, Neto and Tiresen in Valencia. We also with uh, Juventus with Arthur and Pjanic coming in. All these unexpected, I'd say, signings. Uh, which were just to cover up all the problems. And you you knew, I mean, I knew uh, before that at some point this was going to come and implode, you know, because you can't keep covering up things and making some weird signings to, to solve the problems because in the future it's going to come back to you. And it happened in the end, you know. And also it got even worse because, of course, uh, we're going through a pandemic and that hasn't helped us all. The fans still uh, can't go to the stadiums, which is quite disappointing. And so overall, I mean, Bartomeu has just been, I was going to say a very nasty word, but I'm not going to use it, but he's been absolutely terrible uh, for Barcelona. He's taken us to, to one of the worst moments in our history, critical moment. And it's key that the guy like Laporta is capable of, of handling this because it won't be easy. Any misstep, any mistake could lead us to an even worse situation. And it's also been said that the uh, club's property which is now owned by the fans, is also at risk, you know. So it could happen that in the end, someone has to come in, come in externally uh, by the club to try and solve all the economical problems we're through. And that would be so, so disappointing, take into account uh, how the fact that the uh, socios here, the, um, the members own the club, is such a special factor that distinguishes Barcelona from so many other clubs. So I think 
um, it's really important to, to, to make sure that that doesn't happen. And if it ever happens, everyone is going to look back at Bartomeu and he's now going to be considered one of the worst presidents, if not the worst in the history of football, even though he got titles, he got results, but he did so much damage elsewhere that uh, Bartomeu is just going to be so badly regarded forever. Do you agree, Diana? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, he has been just terrible from a number of points of view, basically every point of view. And the thing is that they had this, like Roman was saying, they had this obsession with always having the highest income, the highest whatever. But the thing is that this was artificially inflated by the fact that we sold Neymar. And then you had to, like from that year to the next ones, you had to keep up with that income. And that was like, that's not going to happen. You're not going to get 200 million for transfers every season. So, okay, you don't have to always grow your income. Maybe this year you have a lower income, but no, they always had to do this. They always had to have higher incomes than whatever. So you end up doing dubious sporting agreements, like Roman said, Neto for sale for Silasan or Pjanic for Arthur and stuff like that and selling players like on the I don't know 29th of June because on the 30th of June it's the end of the uh, fiscal year and you have to round out round out some numbers and basically everything was done like this and the debt that they incurred in making all of these signings and in doing everything they were doing the debt was sustainable in the sense that they kept it rolling from one year to the next with the income they had. So they kept refinancing, not refinancing it, but paying enough of it so that it didn't become a problem. But now with the pandemic and with all the losses in income, you have a situation where in June of this year, Barca have to pay like 200, more than 250 million. To, every, uh, to all their creditors. So the new board coming in right now, they're technically not uh, in position as of the time of recording this because they had to present like bank guarantees and whatever. But the new board has to come in and immediately deal with the debt situation because we're three months away from basically creditors taking over the club. Aaron. Is Bartomeu the worst president in Barcelona's history? I think there's an element of recency bias. There's certainly many reasons why you can make an argument. I think, you know, we're far enough removed from other presidencies, Gaspar as an example, where, you know, there were all of these problems without the results. So I understand everyone's feelings towards Bartomeu, um, but I think we would be wise to, to kind of recognize that not everything that they touched turned turned to the proverbial. And that there were some okay moments throughout. Um, even, even this recent summer, right, the purchase of players like Pedri, um, not to say that that was Bartomeu's doing, but there, there are some good moments in there. I think on the debt side, it's... It's interesting because I entirely agree. A lot of the practices that the prior board uh, kind of involved themselves in were not necessarily right from our 
from our kind of distance and without our level of expertise and in how football clubs are actually run. Uh, but I guess there is a precedent there for the debts that are due this summer. There are options for the new board and not all of them uh, doom and gloom. Like on the transfer side, we owe money, but we're also owed money through a lot of the same deals. You know, we owe money, for instance, to Juventus for Pjanic, but they owe us an equivalent amount for Artur. Uh, so you kind of bring that down. The financial debts, I think, you know, you're Barcelona, you're an institution. You maybe have opportunities to refinance that with your lenders. And the biggest one, and I think the one that I'd be most interested in in trying to seek out some informed opinion on is we owe, I think, is 180 million euros to staff. So deferred salaries as a result of the pandemic um, was a figure I saw in a recent Swiss Ramble uh, thread. And I think what I'd be most interested to, to kind of know is what are Barcelona's options there, given that the pandemic has progressed? Do these really become due in the summer? Or, or how can they negotiate with the players to, to push that to push that into the future again? Diana, you wanted to come in there? Uh, yeah, uh, I was just going to say about the deferred salaries to players and stuff. Uh, the thing is that they agreed to this in the sense that the deferred wages that they were owed will be paid over the next, I don't know, three or four years or something. I don't know exactly how that works. If we sell the players in the meantime, I assume that if you're selling him, you have to pay what you owe him in totality. But I have no idea. The idea is that what they were owed for this season will be paid in the future. So basically they kick the can down the road for other people to deal with. Kevin, um, Joan Laporta left the presidency in 2010. Uh, we've got over a decade since then. What's your opinion on not just Bartomeu's board, but the management of Barcelona, or Football Club Barcelona, in that intervening decade? Um, so I think that certainly Aaron has made some really good points, which is that there have been many good things that the um, Bartomeu board has done and in terms of youth players as well i mean don't forget that you know players like fati came to the uh, club when they were there sort of arujo so i mean but for me he's been the worst president period because of the philosophical damage that he's done to the club i mean when you look at and let's leave aside all the mess canis that people willy-nilly misinterpret as some angelic notion of uh, purity. Philosophically, uh, Barcelona as a football club has always stood for something. And what those men have done is made it stand for nothing except money and uh, corruption. And that to, I mean, that's lasting damage. If you look at the parallels to the U.S. presidency, right? I mean, Trump did real lasting damage to the standing of the U.S. on a global stage in that same way. And that's stuff that, you know, sleazebags like uh, Gaspar and uh, Nunez uh, did not do is make this lasting damage to the philosophical notion that the club, I mean, suddenly the 
uh, club is seen as rather than this rock solid foundation, it's on a mountain of sand and no one knows what's going to happen. And that for me is what makes these last 10 years truly horrific. Aaron. I just wanted to jump in. So I entirely agree with the philosophical damage that these guys, these guys uh, kind of enforced or, you know, that the hit the club, I guess. Part of it is perhaps due to the results on the pitch is, is the level of weighting that we attach to it because Joan Laporta, UNICEF on the front of the shirt while he makes deals with Uzbekistan, um, you know, there's, there's always something with these guys that you can that you can bring up, I guess, is how much weighting we attach to them based on the results on the pitch as well, and, and just how much we like the guys, to be honest. Well, that's a key element, I think, isn't it? The electionability of uh, a candidate. So in this most recent election, for instance, obviously we had, um, with respect to Tony Fraser, I think it was really a two-horse race between uh, Joanne Laporte and Victor Font, both on the Cruyff side of Football Club Barcelona, I think. There wasn't many ideological differences between them, but there was differences in terms of style and in terms of preparation and in terms of experience. So for you, Roman, what do you think was the key kind of flashpoints, you could say, what differentiated Joan Laporta from Victor Font that enabled him to win by quite a comfortable margin in the end? Well, I mean, Laporta had a clear advantage and it's that he had already been president of Barcelona and he'd been successful because if he'd been another Gaspard, we wouldn't even be talking about him now. But of course, uh, he he was a great president. He got really uh, good results. He won a vast amount of titles. I think we all know about that very well. And um, coming into these elections, um, I think it coincided with that with Barca being or going through a really tough situation at the same time. And that's what uh, makes fans think, oh, um, when was I best? Was I best like two, five, ten years ago? And then, of course, Laporta comes to mind. Those titles come to mind. And so the fans directly pick the guy who, who know that I've already given him the titles. And that's basically, I think, the strongest point in favor of Laporta in these elections. So the nostalgia that we could say was, was key here because, I mean... Let's not forget that in 2015, Laporta was also in the elections. And I, th I think at that point, Barca were already going through some problems. Um, I honestly didn't want Bartomeu elected. But in the end, he won the treble and that kind of covered it up. So in the end, fans, I think, um, of, of Barcelona members are vote pretty similarly to what happens in an elections. You know, you usually vote for the guy that you like, you trust more. Um, the guy who gives you the better results, etc. So I think that's kind of what's happened here again. And also, let's not forget that um, in terms of marketing, we could say uh, that uh, that loan, uh, sorry, the loan, that um, uh, what do you call this the piece that um, uh, Laporta put on, on the on. Sorry, the billboard. Billboard, yeah, exactly. Sorry, that billboard that he put outside of of the Santiago Bernabéu was just spectacular. You know, I mean. Everybody, uh, literally everybody heard about it, uh, got some info on it, was impressed by it. And I think that was just uh, a, a massive way to come into these elections because it's true that he had a lot of less preparation, even though he, he will deny it. It's clear if you followed um, the elections these past few months that uh, Victor Fon uh, had much more 
uh, things prepared. He had a team, a board, he had a manager, et cetera, et cetera, whereas Laporta was kind of uh, doing things on the go a little bit. And you could kind of tell, but at the same time, he was smart not to appear too much, uh, to kind of keep a low profile and let um, let his previous uh, expertise kind of take over. And also that billboard was just uh, phenomenal. So I just think that um, Laporta was smarter in these elections. He learned from 2015 because in those uh, his image was wasn't great, and overall he got uh, battered by uh, Bartomeu. But this time he knew that what he had to do, he he was well um, supported, and in the end he got a victory, which I think in the end is positive because no matter whether it was Font or or, or Laporta for me, both guys were were good options to be honest. Symbolism that billboard was definitely something else, but um, but Diana, just to get your thoughts on this, I mean, like obviously. Laporta no longer has the men around him who arguably helped him um, make such a success of his first spell as uh, Joan Cruyff is no longer with us. Ferran Siriano and Chiqui Bergestein are at Manchester City um, and the team around him is quite different. Um, whereas Victor Font with his election promises talking about bringing in Xavi Hernandez as coach and Jordi Cruyff as sporting director. I just want to ask you on this, do you think that you know not having those men around him is a disadvantage to Laporta? And how big a disadvantage is it? And also, did um, Font lean too heavily on the credence of uh, Xavi and uh, Jordi Cruyff for you? I think that there was a fundamental problem for Font in this because while he kept saying that uh, if I win the next day, Jordi Cruyff and Xavi will come or whatever, they'll start working for the club and whatever. But the idea was that neither of the two came out and said, yeah, we've talked to him, we're going to join him if he wins. Neither of them said this. So in terms of credibility, you have on one side him saying that, no, no, they're definitely coming. And on the other hand, you have both Xavi and Jordi Cruyff saying, uh, yeah, we have contracts with our clubs and we'll, we'll see what happens. And yeah, very non-committal. So that was definitely damaging for Font from that point of view. And then you get into the fact that from a psychological point of view, basically the majority of uh, Barca's members are pretty conservative in the sense that Roman was saying, like, if the ball is going into the net and the team is winning, we'll just keep going how it is because we don't have to change anything. That is exactly what happened in 2015. No one cared about any problems because we just won the treble. Like, what problems can there be? There, there are no problems. What are you talking about? Everything's great. So we keep, we keep going with the same people that brought us the treble. And right now, you have the opposite problem because everything fell apart and you have nothing to grab onto. So you need the people that saved you the last time when you were in the in a dangerous situation. And that's 2003, and that's La Porta. So like uh, you were saying previously, it's very positive for Barca that the as a club, as an institution for its future, that the first two uh, candidates in number of votes were La Porta and Font, because they more or less represent the same thing, but they represent the opposition to Nunismo in a way, the fundamental debate that always exists in around Barca. Uh, and 
the thing is that Nunismo will never go away. I mean, right now it was represented by, by Fresha, but Fresha had absolutely no chance to win because he was seen as the continuation of Bartomeu. So that was a non-starter for him. Um, and in the future, in five years, in 10 years, they will come again and they will have another face, but it will be the same ideas and the same, basically, more or less people behind it. Aaron, what was your read in the election? Much the same. I think it's, it's very positive for Barcelona that the two, the two front runners, Wild Laporta and Wild Fonten, that the Sossies so universally rejected Fraser. Um, I think for Laporta, the key to, the key to victory for him was letting Font beat himself. Um, it goes back to what Kevin was saying earlier as well around so much of being a manager is, is being a people person. And I think the more that time went on, the more we saw from Font that that was not his strength. He was more of a theoretical kind of candidate in many ways. He had an, he had an ideology which aligned with Laporta, but he seemed to be severely lacking in that people element where he tried to align himself and campaign on Xavi and on, and on Jordi Cruyff. But at the end of the day, he was not necessarily rejected by those two individuals, but he certainly wasn't endorsed by them. And it was just minor missteps along the way. Uh, his, his now kind of infamous, um, his infamous kind of spat with Gerard Piquet on Twitter, where he used Piquet's uh, image as part of one of his videos and was very quickly told to not do that in, in any uncertain terms. I think Laporte's, Laporte's key to victory was just letting Font do those things, really. Absolutely. Also, Jordi Cruyff uh, mentioning that his father would definitely have voted for Laporte probably didn't help uh, matters either, you could say. Um, Kevin, uh, what was your take on the election and the two personalities who were primarily contesting it? So I wrote um, right after the election a piece about how basically Laporta was Biden, right? Um, he was the guy who had been there. And in uh, times of a basically crisis, as both Aaron and many others have pointed out, you want that reassuring face, the person you know has done this before. Fonts biggest uh, problem to continue the uh, U.S. election analogy is Font was Elizabeth Warren, right? Uh, great ideas, uh, great uh, policies, um, had an answer for every policy question, uh, for every uh, crisis that might uh, come up. He had fiscal answers, but people don't vote for policy wonks. They vote I didn't want politicians, right? And so when uh, Laporta did the billboard, that was it. Uh, they may as well have stopped the whole process right then and there and just made him the uh, winner. Font, who I would have voted for had we been allowed to vote, I think the pandemic, um, had better ideas, ran an awful campaign. Um, Foot and mouth, uh, constantly, wrong ideas, wrong notions. He ran the kind of uh, campaign that uh, Laporta needed him to run. What if he had just run on his ideas, right? 
this is how I want to make this joint better, he still would not have won, but he would have showed a lot better but i guess you know two more personalities who are dominating discourse moments at barcelona are in the dugout you could say ronald kuman and xavi hernandez and in many ways they also represent two disparate kind of philosophies i mean of course uh ronald kuman is a cryfian discipline he played under cryf he scored the winning goal in the 1992 european cup final but his philosophy comes more from psv eindhoven than ajax you could say and he's kind of uh, more an orthodox tinker in his coaching and in his just way of looking at football in general. Um, Xavi Hernandez, of course, played under Pep Guardiola. He was the midfield kingpin. He was the leader of that team in many ways. Um, and he's doing a stellar job with uh, in Qatar with Al Sadd at the moment, which won the Qatari League with four games to go and this past weekend and is on course to win all six trophies. He's fighting in all six trophies um, that are available to him at the moment. Um, but the discourse around you know this debate is interesting because as Roman will attest to you know as an, I'm an Evertonian personally that's my football club and he coached Everton um, for a, a season and a bit a couple of years back and it's safe to say that not too many Evertonians are very impressed with his coaching abilities and I think his coaching career has been none too impressive throughout um, the two decades he's been coaching. Um, but as you and McTeer mentioned in this show last Monday, maybe the two jobs that are best suited to him are the Netherlands and Barcelona because that's where he carries the most clout. And that's proven in his reigns in both positions. Um, and I think I personally underestimated the clout that he holds within Barcelona. I think they didn't realize how much of a legend he is. Um, but I guess my convoluted way of asking this question is, you know, what does the future hold for Barcelona in the dugout? Has Koeman done enough in his season uh, in charge so far to earn himself another crack of the job because he has brought through youth, he has gotten rid of some uh, some sores from the club, he has made some good decisions, he's won some good tactical battles. And then, of course, Xavi is always there in the background and I think many people expect him to be Barcelona coach at some point down the line. So to start with you, uh, Roman, like, what do you think about the whole debate Um do you think Kumin has done enough to earn himself a spot for the next season, maybe until the end of his contract? Or do you think they should be moving to bring in Xavi as soon as possible? Well, if there's one thing that kind of annoys me with managers is, is the, the pressure that's put on them, especially when they're at the club like Barcelona. Of course, it comes with a job and they have to accept it and, and deal with it. But at the same time, sometimes I feel like fans should be a bit more patient in a way because, I mean, it isn't easy to just come into a club. Like, for example... Uh, Kike Setien before Kuman, he came in at a really difficult time and had barely had any, barely had any time to, to change things because, of course, it was during the season. And at the end, he was quite criticized. But to be fair, he deserved, I think, more time and another situation maybe because uh, let's not forget what Barca has been through. And now with Kuman, you got this similar feeling. Like at the beginning, people were like already kind of unhappy with Kuman. Of course, here in Barcelona, he's a legend. So he may, they maybe had more patience than they would have had if he'd been another manager. But uh, there was always this, this slight criticism towards the way the team was playing, towards how things were going beginning of the season. Even though uh, they were getting acceptable results, they were still there. But uh, against stronger sides, etc., the team wasn't really performing and he was quite criticized. But now he's, he's starting to find his, his groove, I guess. And I think 
a manager like Kuman just needs time. And it's true his curriculum maybe isn't extremely impressive, but I mean he's gotten titles, he's gotten the job done in some places. And it also, as, as you and said, as you mentioned, I mean, it depends on, on who you manage because uh, every team has different requirements and you have to kind of adapt and it isn't always easy. But in this case, it seems like Barca could be a good fit. And I know that some people still have doubts on whether he should continue at the end of the season. But at the moment, he's proving that he should. I mean, uh, with, with these results, with the game against PSG, I mean... I haven't seen Barca play that well in a very, very long time. And I mean, that was a fantastic game for Barcelona. And if he can kind of build on that, uh, he can um, get better players. Because for me, even though Laporta denies this, for me, this is a transition year. And I honestly never thought uh, Barca would be winning any titles except for the Copa del Rey. And I still stand by that. I really don't think uh, we're going to win the league. But if he can make something of that game against PSG, and that's going to be... Uh, the level we're going to see from now on, maybe I'll have to shut up next time and, and see what happens because um, that was, as I said, a fantastic game. And I think at the moment, Kuman deserves to continue. Also, let's remember that Laporta uh, already implied in a few interviews during the elections that uh, Xavi isn't ready. I mean, it's funny that he says that, take into account that he bet on Pep Guardiola after managing uh, Barca B for just one season. So, I mean... Um, guys like Pep, like Xavi, of course they need to build up some experience, but at the same time they've been uh, so long in the club, they've, they've, they're kind of it's embedded in them, you know, and they they know how everything works, they know what the club needs, and I think he would be a great fit. But honestly, uh, take into account how Kuman uh, is doing at the moment, I don't think it would be fair on him to just kick him out at the end of the season. We should now wait to see how things end. And then from there on, evaluate, see the pros, the cons. Does he deserve to stay? Does he not? Should Xavi come in and evaluate the situation? But at this moment in time right now, uh, it's, it's for sure that Kuman deserves to continue. Samuel Marsden, who's the Barcelona correspondent for Diario Sports in English and also um, ESPN, was on this pod last week and he mentioned that you know, he kind of feels almost as if Kumin is going to be given this transitional role to take Barcelona from the jaws of crisis into a position where somebody else can come in and kind of maybe build a great, truly great team of the ilk of the, you know, the teams we've seen in the past in 2015, 2011, and uh, before that. Um, Aaron, what's your take on this? Do you think that's a kind of a likely situation to happen? Do you think that Kumin will bring the team through for a little while and then Xavi will come in? Or do you think it's far from a foregone conclusion that Xavi will come into the job? I think it's inevitable that Xavi will come into the job. Uh, it, it's when rather than if. The, there are question marks, though, over when that when is. So I think that Komen's certainly shown enough this season to, to warrant continuing, obviously seeing out the season. That's that's you know beyond question. Um, and also into next season, I think, as Roman mentioned, there are but there were times at the start of this season where it seemed as though Komen was out of his depth. Um, the performances in the big games, certainly domestically, were poor. And tactically, he seemed quite outmatched and devoid of ideas. And I know that you know the, the squad isn't what it once was. But I think we've seen in recent games uh, a real improvement from Komen in that sense. The, the switch to this kind of hybrid three at the back system is something that I don't think many of us saw coming from Komen, despite his background in that 3-4-3 uh, in the dream team. And, you know, he, 
it can't really be understated how much he just outcoached Julian Lopetegui, who is a phenomenal coach in his own right. You know, you don't you don't lead Spain uh, in the way that that he did, and then subsequently be sought out to to coach Real Madrid if you're not a truly exceptional coach. And Koeman just dominated him over those two games with those changes. I think we saw a continuation of that. Yesterday against PSG, of course, circumstances dictated a lot of how that game went. But Komen has really, whether he stumbled upon it or whether this was in his master plan all along, he's really stumbled across a, a formula that, that gives us a lot of reason to be positive. Um, other things that he's kind of done uh, to, to just, again, further warrant continuation, Barcelona have struggled a lot away from home. This was something that we even saw a little bit under Guardiola, uh, even even under Guardiola in the Champions League. But at the moment, Barcelona are very quietly on a run of eight consecutive away wins in La Liga, which is the longest run since Guardiola was in charge. Um, and I think it's just testament to what we've said earlier, where Koeman's reinstilled that belief, has reinstilled a structure, has reinstilled that kind of concept of a team over the individuals and I think it's worth seeing where he can take that certainly through his two-year contract and then reevaluate at that point. What are your thoughts on Ronald's, Kevin? I fully agree and the biggest reason you have to keep uh, uh, coming right now is our stability. Uh, Barcelona has gone through more managers in a six-month period than um, any club would consider reasonable outside of Real Madrid. And so if you bring Kerman in, um, keep him around for a season, then fire him as well, it really seems like this this very unsettled uh, situation. And right now, when you're looking at a president who's trying to negotiate all these various things that need the illusion of a stability, that managerial seat is fairly essential in how you present that world. My other hope is that um, they keep coming so that um, uh, Mascherano can get closer to uh, being a full-time manager. I would much, 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 much prefer him to Shafi. Much, 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 much. Uh, Diana, what's your take on Ronald? I think that the regarding the question, you know, with the uh, Xavi, I think it's inevitable that at one point Xavi will coach Barca. I don't know when that is, but it will happen. I have no doubt about that. It's just written in the stars. And um, yeah, about Kuman, I'm. I'm kind of on the fence about him when it comes to him staying on for next season because I feel like, yes, he's done very importantly and we've definitely evolved as a team this year. But I think that in some ways you can end up in a situation where, you know, he was the manager that rescued the club from a different Mm -hmm. point, from a very low point. But is he the manager to? you know, build the next big Barcelona project. That I'm not sure of. So I'm not sure if I'm completely on board with him staying next season. 
I mean, there are a lot of rumors. The Laporta has been linked to Nagelsmann before Xavi has been linked to, you know, a bunch of people. So I don't know. Maybe there is a plan, but right now the whole approach that the Laporta campaign had to announcing names and announcing this guy will be in that job and whatever, they always said. Uh, in regards to the whole executive structure and whatever, they always said, we need to come into the club, see what's happening there, see what the people in those jobs are, are already doing and how they're performing. And then we'll decide if they need to be replaced and if we'll bring someone else or we just keep them. So I assume that Kuman will go to the same process. So I think there are, a lot more positives than I was expecting, given his history. But I'm still not sure he's the guy for the next step, you know. Aaron, you wanted to come in there? Yeah, I think with Komen, maybe the point that we're missing is that it almost doesn't matter in the sense that Komen has shown that he's just going to coach and manage the club the way that he wants to. And it, unlike some of the guys that we've had previously, he's not going to coach to save his job or he's not going to make decisions in order to appease certain people for a longer contract. You know, on a two-year contract, what's really the incentive for him to play as many youngsters as he has? There isn't really one, but he's done it anyway. Um, partly because he thinks it's the best thing to do for the team now, I'm sure. Um, but it, it almost makes Barcelona's life easier where we can kind of trust the Ronald Koeman now, whether or not we keep him for just this one season, for two seasons, he's going to make, he isn't going to make decisions that are too short term, uh, too short term in nature, which is, then just lends back into Kevin's point about Barcelona needed stability. Koeman almost offers stability irrespective of how long he stays. Well, when he was at Everton, his car reg was Barcelona, basically. It was BAR on the back of his reg. Like, he is very much cooler. And I think even when they were discussing the Eric Garcia situation in January, when he met three candidates and uh, Carlos Tusquets, the manager of the the general board uh, in charge of the club at the moment, he was very much kind of putting it forward that, you know, he's there for the best, whatever's best for Barcelona. And don't forget too, that he had a heart attack just last year. So I think his views on life changed slightly. And while he is quite an arrogant character, quite a spiky character, I think he does genuinely love Barcelona. And I think he is dedicated to helping them in this process that they're in at the moment. Um, but just moving on to the playing squad, I'll start with you, Roman. Just to kind of, I think you can almost break it down into four different sections. So you have... The legends, you know, Gerard Pique, Sergio Busquets, Jordi Alba, Sergio Roberto, these guys who've been through the club for years and have won some glorious titles, but are now coming to the end of their careers, you could say. Uh, you have the young guns coming up, you know, the guys who came from outside, like Pedri, and then also players who came from within, like Ronaldo Araujo, Oscar Mingueza, uh, you know, Ilesh Moriba, and, and many more. And then... You have guys who also came from outside, like Pedri and uh, Frankie de Jong and, and players like that. But then you have kind of a, a third section, which is almost like players who were brought in for big money, like um, you know Usman Dembele, who we touched on uh, before hitting record, Antoine Griezmann, 
uh, Miralem Pjanic, like several of these players who maybe are surplus to requirements. And then Messi is a fourth category. We can leave him in his own category. But just to begin with the aging legends and the expendables, you could say, um, what do you think of them? How can we manage them going forward, do you think, that's best for Barcelona, if that makes sense? Well, at the end of last season, I honestly thought that... um it was actually time for players to move on. As I said before with Luis Suarez, you know, I thought um, he had to move on. And I did honestly think that maybe a couple more uh, also needed to take the step to, to let the younger uh, talent come in. But to be fair, um, I think uh, the more experienced guys like Piquet, like Jordi Alba, like um, Busquets, etc., have kind of accepted their new role, where, of course, they're still important, but at the same time, they understand that the younger kids have to come in and, and get their minutes and they're going to have to sit on the bench now and then, et cetera, et cetera. So in that sense, I think um, it's, it's been fine. So I'm not so sure that they have to leave next season. Of course, if there's a good offer, we need the money. So we're quite um, forced, we could say, to, to let go of some players. And at some point, uh, that's the question that uh, Juan Laporta and the board are going to have to ask themselves. You know, Do we have to sell... Uh, any any important players or or talent for the future which uh, we want to keep but uh, there's a really good offer on the table so maybe we have to let them go so yeah that's something that def- they definitely have to look into and honestly uh, you were talking about the big money signings like uh, Griezmann like uh, Dembele Coutinho I mean honestly I think we have to try and make money with these guys for me it's 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 key to, to get a, getting out of the situation. Of course, the salaries are, are another important thing, but I mean, um, selling Griezmann, selling Coutinho, for sure. Dembele, we could consider if there's a good offer on the table. And I honestly wouldn't mind like keeping them in a normal situation, but except for Coutinho. But given the circumstances, I mean, you have to make sacrifices and you have to get money. And then also, as I was saying about the salaries, we've got to get rid of, of guys like Umtiti who are... Uh, getting paid a big sum and they're not really providing anything because he's not uh, going to be the guy that we saw in the first season at Barcelona. So there's a lot of work to do in terms of, of the squad, but it's good to see that the new talent is getting opportunities. Apparently, Laporta has also sent that same message to, to the talent of La Masia saying that they he wants uh, more youngsters to come in and maybe we could once again at some point see... Uh, another 11 made up of La Masia guys as we did with uh, Tito Villanova, if I'm not mistaken. But of course, that's obviously towards the future and let's not get too excited about that. But um, it's good to see that changes are taking place at the moment in the squad and, and, and fresh blood is coming in to replace uh, others that have been there for a longer time. What's the thing with this, Kevin? Because it's very difficult, really, isn't it, to um, kind of transition from one era to another. I mean, Real Madrid even are struggling with that at the moment with their midfield trident of Tony Cruz, Luka Modric and Casemiro still reigning supreme as well as having Sergio Ramos at the back and Karim Medzema up front. It's very difficult to go from players who have won everything and given everything for the club and kind of move them on in many ways. And then simultaneously, given that we're very much in a buyer's market right now in a post-COVID world, or you know, we're actually in a COVID world really, I guess. Um, it's very difficult also to move on these high earners, you know, for any kind of profit. So how do you propose you should manage that transition, Kevin? Um, it is going to be very complex. And there again, it's another symbol of how poorly this sporting project has been managed because the ideal time to sell players like Rakitic, like Sergio Roberto, 
um, uh, like Umtiti uh, within uh, 2018, right? I mean, you've basically kept them three years and way too long, and you wind up sending them away no money because right now the biggest value would be the salary dump. Um, so ideally, uh, most likely, I would love to see a 30 euro clear out of everybody who's 30 or older goes. And that uh, would include Umtiti because his knees are 60. Um, so you have, I mean, this right now, there's an amazing amount of young talent. And you now have a manager who's willing to use it. And so when you look at the Barcelona B, where you have four players ready to promote and all in positions uh, where the club has openings. Uh, look at how he's already using Elish. Um, Look at Pooch. It's amazing. And there's never been a better moment right now to move those players on but huge wages right they're all on huge wages and so that is going to complicate things immensely and that's without even getting into the massive giant elephant in the room which is messy right and i mean uh the jonathan uh, wilson sports illustrated piece was the uh, uh, most most open-eyed view on the messy situation that uh, someone has had the courage to say in public. Right? I mean, we've all talked about it in private, um, and some of us have even um, posted uh, legendary tweets asking whether Messi uh, should be sold. But uh, we have never looked at it from that truly unflinching a view, which is, look, next year he'll be a 34-year-old guy who will probably give you 20 goals and 20 assists. Um, he'll be making more than 100 mil. Is that a guy that you want to uh, uh, keep? And that's a very, so that's a football question. That's a money question. Uh, then you have the heart, right? You can't let Messi play for any other club. You just, you can't, you can't uh, mentally, you can't philosophically, nor can you emotionally. He has to retire at uh, Barcelona. Uh, I don't know if um, the club has the money to do that. I don't know if uh, uh, Porta has the uh, persuasive skills to make that happen because Messi is ready for that next uh, chapter. And if he can't get that with Barcelona, he's leaving. And right now he is uh, trapped into uh, being the player he was, but he wants to be a different uh, player. We have to solve Messi first. And once we know what Messi is doing, uh, then all the rest should fall into place. The point Wilson made in that piece was that, you know, while Messi is going to do enough to beat teams in La Liga, where Barcelona will dominate most of the possession, 
he could almost be a destructive factor in the major European games when they're playing against the elite of the elite. Um, and that was kind of disproved last night, given his goal. But I think the point definitely carries weight. Um, Diana, for you, what's your take on the squad management situation at Barcelona at the moment? I mean, obviously, Messi is a huge presence and his future is a massive question mark. And in many ways, you know, it dominates everything because it all hinges on what Messi is going to do come January, June 30th when his contract expires. So in many ways, it's almost a moot point discussing it. But what, what are your thoughts on the youth coming through at Barcelona, the legends who need to be phased out, the big money signings who need to be moved on, and of course, the diminutive Argentine who, uh, who holds it all together? Yeah, uh, first of all, uh, regarding Messi, I just want to say that I completely disagree with him being a liability in any game, actually. Like, in every big game that Barca have lost in the Champions League, okay, maybe not Bayern, but even then we started okay. But in all the other big games that we lost, there were a bunch of chances that were either you know, missed by other people from great messy potential assists. And he kept creating stuff. But you can't say he's a liability. You have to adjust your team in order to accommodate the best player in history. It's just like he's not a liability. You adjust to him. That's just how it works. That's how it has always worked. And the thing is that Right now, in this season, I think the absolute best thing that has happened to Messi has been Pedri, has been having a functional midfield, has been having the ball 20 yards higher up the pitch than he had to receive it last year, has been not facing both the midfield and the defensive line of the opponent team in order to create something out of nothing, basically. The best thing that Kuman has done this season, and that is saying uh, very, very well of him, because not others have failed to do this before, is that this is not a messy team in the sense that if if Messi isn't there, this team doesn't fall apart. Like it is a team that function functions and that has Messi. You know, like the team has a certain functionality. It doesn't just expect Messi to create something out of nothing. And, you know, it's a big thing that has been accomplished this year because he doesn't have to just create stuff. Of course he does because that's what he does. But it's a more functional team than the team we had last season, for example. So in that sense, I just wanted to say that about uh, him and what his future... I don't know what his future may lie. My personal belief has been ever since he didn't leave last summer, or better said he wasn't allowed to leave last summer. My personal belief has been that if he didn't leave, then he will never leave, or at least until the Qatar World, World Cup, because that's when I assume he will retire or move to Argentina or Miami or whatever. But the thing is that right now, I think that he sees this team growing around him. He sees himself fitting in this team. He sees all these young kids running and playing and being great and stuff and he can see a competitive project for the future which 
wasn't the case in the previous years. So I think that from that point of view, my belief is still that he stays, but I'm a hopeless romantic, so what do I know? Uh, in regards to other players, I think that the, for the, the older generation, there is a thing about phasing them out, but the idea is basically everything. I mean, basically you can say that Suarez warned of this about two or three years even before he was forced out of the club because he was always saying that, yeah, okay, I understand that uh, Barcelona need a younger number nine or whatever. Of course, he was always going to fight for his place because that's who he is. He's a competitor. He's a winner. But that didn't mean that the club should just like, yeah, we have Suarez. We don't need anything else. That's our plan for the future. Like, you have to plan for the future. And, of course, you have to have a plan to, I don't know, phase out Busquets, to phase out Piquet, phase out Jordi Alba. But that doesn't mean you, you know, force them out. Maybe if you have to, like, I don't know, forcing club legends, because they are club legends, regardless of the last years, forcing club legends to leave just because they're a burden on a wage bill is probably one of the most heartbreaking things that can happen to a football club like this should definitely not be the end of not be how things end for them like they should live on their own terms and in good health and with everybody say giving their blessings and whatever but as i was saying maybe things will get better Kuman yesterday after the PSG game saying that Messi can have no doubts what the direction the team are going and that uh, it's a different project to the one that uh, Kuman inherited, he said, um, post-game. Uh, Roman, what are your thoughts on Lionel Messi? Yeah, I just wanted to, to add on Lionel Messi that I always thought that Messi has wanted to stay. Even uh, last summer, I always had the feeling that um, the perfect love story is him uh, starting his career at Barcelona and ending it at Barcelona of course uh, as Diana I might be a romantic also it's 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 what we all want here in Barcelona at least many of us want of course um, but at the same time I also feel like the famous Budofax he sent to uh, to the club was, was a way of, of putting pressure on, on Bartomeu and trying to get rid of him so the club could jump into to a new phase to find a new president etc etc and now let's not also forget that Messi uh, went to vote for the first time uh, to presidential elections when he could have perfectly um, just stayed at home. And he also could have perfectly said, I want Juan Laporta to win. And he probably would have won by even more votes. So, I mean, Messi's power at the club is important, but also his implication is, is very valuable. You know, and I always, um, he always says how he, he's happy for his kids that love the city, have their friends, that they're the most important thing for him. And that's always been one of the reasons why he's also wanted to stay. And I kind of feel like, um, I don't know, logic just kind of says to me that he will be staying at least for the foreseeable future. And it's true that in an interview, he did mention the possibility of going to the States to, to ending his career there and getting a few seasons. But I don't know. I think if he's comfortable here, if Laporta gives him good vibes and, and can really um, provide an attractive project for the future. I think it's really possible for Messi to actually uh, retire here in Barcelona. Don't forget that um, he brought Thiago with him to vote. So the symbolism of that is quite 
significant I think you know it's like if you're going to leave a club you, you surely go to vote by yourself maybe to make a point but bringing your son uh, is a big indication for me at least Aaron um, what are your thoughts on Barcelona's squad composition the path forward and obviously the elephant in the room that is Lionel Messi I think to start off with the club legends I think I have to echo what Diana said where you don't get rid of these guys because because you need to for the wage bill. These guys should be bottom of the list as far as you're concerned if that is what needs to be done this season. you The way that you attack that has to be through the people who have sale value, right? Like Coutinho, uh, Griezmann, their, their market value is not what it was when we bought them. You know, that much cannot be denied. But they still have much more value on the open market uh, for transfer fees and things like that than anyone else. And and also, you know, these guys, these they have agents, right, who can help engineer this if that's what the writing on the wall suggests. So Laporta, one of the one of his uh, one of the selling points for him during some of the debates was his connections in the world of football that he has a good relationship with Mino Raiola. Um, which, of course, made everyone think of Holland. Um, but it, it's also what else Laporta, you know, the other connections that Laporta has. If he speaks to these players or to their agents and, you know, tells them that, well, the, the future isn't a battle of you guys, he knows the people who can help make that happen, um, particularly if he has a plan for, for bringing in someone else, uh, you know, to help spur things along so i think the way of addressing the squad is trying to get value from the players that aren't the club legends you also need these club legends to continue to sell the future to the young players you need to show that your whole career can be a barcelona that we won't force you out for any sort of arbitrary reason and that you can stay for this longer period and i think it's been interesting. Elish scored his first goal at the weekend and he was selected after the game to, to give the post-match interview on the pitch. Um, obviously, he was, I think, still in shock at scoring his first goal. Um, but he he mentioned about how, how great it is to play alongside Sergio Busquets, the amount that he's learned from Sergio, uh, the the kind of guidance that he provides and having having that, I think, is, is invaluable and you know, worth the wages that those guys command. Um, I think what will be interesting, and perhaps as a question to everyone else, where, where do we think the, the gaps are for the transfer market? I think, you know, this new, C, this new system um, with this 343, if that's something that we stick with long term, there are only really a few spots in that that you think will, we would look to improve. Um, just be interested for people's thoughts on, on how that might shape up in the future. Certainly, Kevin, I think you want to say something there. Um, yeah, so I fully hue to the idea that you can't force club legends out, right? I mean, people who love the uh, players, who love what the players have done, and there's no bigger romantic than me. I mean, I even think they should never have sold the front of their shirt. That's how bad I am. Uh, yet at the same time, part of being that club legend means loving the club enough where you understand when it's time. And I think that that is where you run into the rock and the hard place reality, right? Is that uh, you have a player who it might be time to move on, but maybe he has like four or five good matches a year where people say, oh yes, he's still got it, yet he doesn't. So I don't know how that 
the huge, huge, very uh, tricky thing that uh, Laporta will need to manage is that, right, is telling someone like, like Untiti, like uh, Bus Skets, like uh, PK, like, frankly, uh, Jordi Alba, right, is, okay, you're, you've still got some time in you, but this team also needs to progress. So what do you honestly think about your responsibility to the club that you love, right, and your role um, in allowing that progression? I think that's really important to consider is the responsibility of the veteran player to also recognize, like Iniesta did, like Xavi did, like Puyol did. Now it's time. Aaron, you want to say something? I think just to your point, Kevin, I guess, is there any reason why we don't trust these guys to be able to do that? What have they shown us that makes us think they can't? I mean, we've seen it from every one of those individuals, right? Xavi, Puyol, Iniesta, all of these guys knew when the time was for them to move on. Um, and to be honest, we've even seen that from, from Pique, right? After the 8-2, he was the first one to hold his hand up and say, right, if I need to go in the summer, just let me know. I'll be on my way. Like, I think that they know, and I think that that's maybe less of a concern, uh, at least in my view. I think these guys, these guys know it just as much as everyone else, right? Um, I think that they know what to do, and I don't really see too too much reason in distrusting them to to have those best interests of the club at heart. I think PK has really got up my estimation. I mean, he was already very high, but just in his composure in the last few weeks has been phenomenal, I think. You know, coming back into the team is a difficult part, racing back from injury, and not only performing well, but, you know, really kind of carrying the can in many ways and kind of carrying himself with such dignity is playing through the pain barrier as well. It's a very, very impressive character. But Diana, you wanted to say something there? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add that uh, it would be easier to get rid of these players, like I was saying before, if you had an actual viable plan to replace them. But as things stand right now, one-legged PK is better than every other centre-back this team has. So what's the alternative? Very good points. Um, and quite literally, one-legged PK too. Not yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah guys we're coming to the end of the fascinating conversation but just before we go into the kind of closing comments the future a couple of questions submitted I want to ask you what I'll do basically is I'll just ask them here and then whoever wants to take them uh, can come in and take them and then if someone else wants to come in on top of that they can come in on top of that so this one's from Chris Dotty on Twitter he said Laporta's campaign seems to be seriously lacking in content regarding women's football is there any reason for hope he'll take this seriously in the coming years uh, I think that the most important thing in regards to women's football, even if you don't care which, I, 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 I mean, I don't want to bring this up because it seems petty, and but it, I think it's important that there was a TV debate and he couldn't recognize some female, some of the Barca Femini players. So I think that's a important thing. But whatever, he'll learn their names. It's fine. Uh, now that he's their boss. Uh, but the thing is that from a practical point of view, women's football needs very little investment in comparison to to men's football. Like, it, you just need to pay the... 
a small amount of attention and it grows like just look given you know the like Aaron was saying before that they made some good decisions Barça Femini was absolutely the best thing that the previous board ever did like making them professional taking care of them investing money in transfers uh Everything they did about Barca Femini was absolutely spot on. And it landed us with a team that is a consistent Champions League semi-finalist. And that in maybe this year, maybe next year, I don't know, will maybe take the final step and win the Champions League. Which is huge for a team that five, six years ago wasn't even fully professional. So what Laporta needs to do is just... Be practical about this because it doesn't need a lot of investment. It doesn't need a lot of attention. Just keep the people who are in charge in charge and let them do what they've been doing. And it's okay. Kevin, you want to come in there? Yes. I mean, you have to keep so many. I, I don't know how many people watch them, but it's so amazing to watch them. I mean, it's so beautiful. You watch them play. I mean, and you wish that in their their context, the men's team played the same way. It is in many ways uh, watching them tactically. It's uh, what I hope that the men's team would evolve into. And you don't kill something that is that joyful and that is that successful. I believe that, as uh, Diana said, he will just say. All right, you guys over there, I don't know all of you, but you're doing wonderful, so keep it up. I'm done. That's it. I mean, he has he has to do that. Roman, do you want to say something there? Do you hand up? Or? Well, in the end, it was just uh, to, to add up to what they've been saying, yeah, that uh, I think one thing that the previous board did well, or at least one of the few things, was definitely the women's team, as, as Dana was saying. You know, uh, they, They've become the best team in Spain. They were competing with Atletico de Madrid, which is also a fantastic team, and now they're they're above them and also in the Champions League, they're making it to the finals. And there's this one team called Olympique de Lyon that nobody can seem to be because they're just on another level. But Barca are getting there, you know, and the job that's been done in these last few years uh, with this squad is, is fantastic. And in the end, I mean, women's football might not be as followed or, or watched by many people, but I think that's not just the problem of Barcelona. It's, it's a global problem, you know, and it's something that has to be solved at a, at a, at a higher scale. So, of course... Laporta himself, he can't do much more than just uh, stick to what's been done and, and let it keep on going and, and keep uh, giving those titles and important victories because uh, the female squad is definitely something to be proud of. Very true. Very true. Well said. And then the second question is from Killian Shields. He said, Laporta has obvious charisma, but I was impressed by France's preparation. Even if I admit Laporta had the electioneering side down, would Font be a useful board member under Laporta? Would they trust each other? How much power might he be given if they work together? Man, I would love it. I'd love that if Fon could join the board because just like that, that first board was uh, stronger with the group that left in a huff led by Sandro Mose. I think that Font has many very practical things to offer that uh, Laporta would be nuts not to take advantage of. I think um, it would be very interesting to see from Laporta's standpoint to, to our earlier conversations about managing the twilight of some of the star players on these club legends careers. 
we all know that PK's future is in the president's box. Um, and maybe someone could correct me if I'm if I've got this wrong, but I think you need to be retired as a player for four seasons before you can run as a president. Is is that right? Um, if so, that timing perhaps works out quite well for for Gerard Piquet, who you know finishes this season, perhaps plays next season. Uh, I wonder whether that could be conversations off the record that him and Laporta might have throughout this mandate, and you know, how that might then interact if, if Font is on the board, because if Font's on the board, it's because he sees it as a valuable stepping stone to the presidency in the future. Um, just how, how you kind of manage uh, all of those different things would be interesting. Roman? Yeah, I just wanted to, to add that. Um, let's not forget that also Laporta has already kind of admitted to being a very presidential kind of president in the sense that he makes the decisions He's the one man in charge. So, of course, having a guy like Victor Fon would definitely provide a lot of good ideas and, and a lot of things towards the future. But at the same time, it would be two important egos because let's not forget that they were both fighting to be president. And after uh, the elections ended, you could see that Font was quite uh, disappointed and that he wasn't sure what his future would be. He also stated a few times that he wasn't really convinced about uh, joining uh, Laporta's board. So I kind of feel like he's going to take his time, keep his, his ideas, keep his, his people to try and come back again in the, in the next elections because now now everybody actually knows him. That's one of the things that was worrying fun in these elections that not everybody knew him, whereas Laporta, of course, uh, is known in every corner of, of Catalonia, of Spain and, and, and large part of the world, of course. Whereas now uh, Fon has obtained some of that notoriety and he's now uh, seen as a good candidate, as a guy who... Uh, put a fight against Laporta and I think in the next elections he would really have uh, big options of, of coming in. So I honestly don't really see uh, for joining in Laporta, but at least it's true that he could maybe uh, help by providing some of those ideas he's, he's put on the table, which are just fantastic because I think uh, Fon had some uh, really good ones to keep in mind. Diana, do you want to come in there? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add that I think that both of them, I mean, uh, both Font and Laporta have said uh, at times when asked about this that it's not an option that is going to happen. I think that Font is really, previously he had said that if he loses now, he'll never run again. But I think that now he's still having doubts. I don't know, maybe he will make better decisions in five years' time and we will, five, six years' time, and we'll end up with him as president. But right now I don't see him joining. But uh, there are a lot of valuable people that were a part of his candidacy that would be valuable assets for the club if they were to join La Porta. Absolutely. Um, just to kind of bring things to a close, so guys, because we're kind of coming up to the uh, the end points, but I just want to ask each of you, um, what do you want to happen at Barcelona between now and next August when the new season begins? And also between now and the next three years. So where do you want Art Barcelona to be in terms of recruitments uh, on the pitch, whoever's in the, coach, the dugout, and also how they're probably being run this August, this beginning of this new season, and then also um, in three years down the line, so August 2024. Um, I'll start with you, Aaron. Where do you want Barcelona to be in both? 
So I think in the next few months and as the season comes to a close, I'd like to see where this new system takes us. This this kind of return almost to a 3-4-3 in many respects, or however we want to label it with numbers. I'd like to see where that goes for the rest of the season to then see if that is our more medium-term future. Um, I think in that time, the return of Ansu, hopefully, um, should provide us with a lot of insight. Could Ansu feature as the as the nominal striker as Dembele has in recent weeks? And if so, how, how would he perform in that role? I think then going forward three or so seasons, I think just a continuation of the path that we seem to be on at the moment, um, finding that right balance between youth and experience, finding that right balance between homegrown or, you know, certainly players who identify with the Barcelona style and finding that right balance between them and star names, or perhaps trying to develop those players into star names. I think in three years' time, it's not going to be Komen in charge. It almost certainly will be someone like Xavi. Um, but yeah, I guess that's where I see them going. In terms of players, the main reason why I kind of want to see if Ansu can play in this number nine role is because if not in the summer, there's potentially that Norwegian guy who seems all right. Um, and maybe then that's worth Barcelona finding, you know, a way to move heaven and earth, not only to get players off their wage bill, but to free up the money to make a run at him, given how, how much of a generational talent he seems to be. He's learning Spanish too, Haaland. Uh, I think Bono shouted at him after he saved his penalty shootout on uh, Tuesday night in the Champions League game at the Sevilla goalkeeper in Spanish. And then when Haaland took the penalty, he shouted back whatever uh, Bono shouted at him in Spanish. And he didn't know what it meant, but uh, I guess he's learning anyway, so that's one thing. Catalan is next, of course. But uh, Kevin, what's your view on Barcelona's future, both in the short term and the long term? Um, so in the short term, they have to uh, solidify the sporting project. You know, right now the the club, the team, doesn't have a clear way of playing. What made the Guardiola teams work so well wasn't just the talent, uh, but that there was a very very clear way of uh, playing. So no matter who was in, the team played the same way. I think that uh, Komen is working to build that, and that's one more reason I think we should give him another season. I think that um, three years down the road, um, by the end of that, I suspect that the club will have finished that rebuilding project I expect that uh, by then the club will be younger, faster, and will have won a uh, Champions League by then. I think that the nucleus, I mean, if uh, right now, even it had Fati not um, gotten clipped and damaged his knee, this team would be in a very different spot. And the front line of Fatih, Dembele, and Messi, I believe, uh, would have sown havoc in both Spain as well as Europe. Those are our circumstances. 
this uh, club has an amazing nucleus uh, when they move up Jandro, when they move up uh, Collado, when they give Comas a look, uh, more time for Pooch. Maybe you uh, bring back Alanya. Maybe even bring back uh, Tadebo, right? I mean, this there is so much talent out there. Uh, they also own Emerson. Um, Dest is improving. It seems Firpo is a much better right back than left back. This team is talent rich, and right now it just needs that shape. So I think that in three years it'll be a young, fast, pressing team that will look a lot like that first year Villanova team did. Very vertical, but still grounded in the uh, roots of how Barcelona team plays. And yeah, they will have gotten a, a big year's trophy by then. Roman? Well, I mean, in the short term, what I'm worried about is, first of all, finding solutions to the economical problems the club is going through. I think that is definitely key. And if we, if Laporta and his board can find those solutions, then at the same time, why not consider an important signing like uh, our, like we were mentioned before about Haaland, for example? Um, he's Just imagine he was behind some of the chances Barca had the other night against PSG. I mean a comeback would have been so much more likely. And we know that Barca really needs a number nine. And I mean, success on the field also means success in economical terms, because of course uh, you get past more knockout stages, you win more titles, you get more money. So I think it can kind of uh, work out in a way. And at the same time, as Kevin was saying, I think giving a chance uh, to those youngsters as Kuma has been doing now is really important in this short term. I think they're going to be key in Barca's uh, short-term and long-term future because uh, they, they provide something uh, we don't have. And at the same time, you don't have to spend too much money on that. So you don't have to go and buy a junior football. You don't have to go and buy uh, other guys. And you can just count on them because there's a lot of talent down there. And we've brought in a, a few players, but there's others uh, still down there, like Collado, for example, who looks fantastic. Um, so and Orellana, etc. So, I mean, uh, there's a lot of talent there. And that's something that we have to consolidate not lose it as we'd seen previous uh, years with, with Bartomeu, where it was more about spending money than actually trusting the youngsters. So that's definitely very important for me in the short term. And in the long term, well, I guess uh, what we all want for Barca to be at the top once again, respected club, winning the titles it was winning uh, not so long ago and, and consolidate itself and have a, have a decent project which will last along the years, not a project uh, that can come down and fall into pieces in, in just a few months, something that's that's going to last for long. And hopefully also in the long term, we'll still have Messi, whether it's retiring that year or whether it's playing for us still at 37 or whatever. I just uh, hope he, he stays uh, with Barcelona one way or another. Diana, you the final world. <laughs> yeah, so much as the other guys have said, I think that uh, it will be important in the short term to basically give the club some financial health uh, by getting rid of players that are on huge wages. Uh, I know that's difficult to do given the market that we're in and with the pandemic affecting everyone's finances, but you have to at least try. And um, I think that uh, 
in the short term, you have to, I'm very pessimistic about signings. I mean, I've been saying for basically the last two years, so since before the pandemic, that the club is broken, they can't afford to sign anyone. Basically, I was proven right, but at what cost? Uh, so, um, yeah, I don't think that any signings, I, I'm not putting my hopes on any signings happening this season. I just want the club to be financially sustainable right now. And uh, after that, in a few years, maybe, you know, the next season in the seasons after start to build on the young talent that we already have uh, like the others have said before me and build a promising team because there is a lot of hugely important talent like Pedri is basically a generational player he can be the midfield anchor of our team so we have to keep that in mind for the future and build around that and Ansu is also a generational forward. So you, you have these gems already available. Just use them right and take care of them. So in the medium-term future, in the next three years, I hope that uh, this project will continue to grow and that we'll see better results. And uh, most importantly, I think all of us uh, want to see beautiful football because that's what made us fall in love with this club in the first place and that's what uh, keeps us going. Every one of us wants to be excited and the thing about this team right now and the result last night, it's that it's exciting again and that's what matters. Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, Ronald Arahu, Frankie de Jong, Pedri, Anzu Fati. It's not a bad spine of a team for the next few years, is it? And I think one thing for sure is that Joan Laporta's re-election and the current new iteration of Barcelona is kind of taking away the apathy from the club and injected, if not positivity, then enthusiasm. So it's certainly interesting to see how things develop in the short, medium and long term at Football Club Barcelona, a place where it's never boring, for sure. Um, but yeah, that's it, guys. A fascinating discussion. Um, just to get your social media handles are the best place to find you and your work moving forward. Aaron, let's start with you. So you can find me on Twitter at ARDuckling. Um, at the moment, not, not blogging for any particular website, but this, this conversation has inspired me, so maybe I'll get back in the game and you can find any articles I post there. Um, but otherwise, you'll be best placed actually going to these other three guys. Glad to hear it, Aaron. Kevin, where best to find you? Uh, yeah, the best way to find me is on Twitter. I am K-E-V-V-W-I-L-L at there. And I also show up at uh, BarcelonaFootballBlog.com. That's an English language site that's uh, been around for a really long time at first in one form as the offside, now in its current iteration. And there's lots of writing there by a team of three people and that's that's where you find me roman yeah i'm also on twitter um my handle is aeroslave with two e's at the end and also you can find me collaborating with uh, la liga lowdown as a reporter in barcelona and that's me diana yeah i'm basically on twitter you can find me at uh, at diana uh christine with a k and two n's and uh yeah that's basically the only thing i do perfect 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 but uh yeah and for me you can find me at twitter uh, at azul feely azul feely sorry 
um, are from a work with Football España, La Liga Rora, and Our World Football Index. And yeah, we're going to have the usual European football show coming next Monday, as well as a Patreon episode too, and some European CD guides coming as well. So there's lots to come on this channel, so keep informed, please. And also, if you'd like this kind of long-form roundtable discussion format, let me know. Just DM me on Twitter or tweet me or whatever. And uh, with any suggestions for future shows, we'll look to do maybe one a month going forward, just kind of an in-depth look with people who know the club as Diana, Roman, Kevin and Aaron absolutely do and have proven this conversation. But uh, yeah, thanks to listeners for your attention. Please uh, like and review um, this episode and share with your friends also so we can spread the word. Um, so yeah, thanks guys and see you soon. Oh